0: Sorry, I meant to say, welcome back. You're listening to Pick a Disc, the podcast where guests pick an album to talk about for whatever reason they, well, want to. My name is Matthew Latham. I am the curator of conversation, the maestro of mumbling, the wrangler of rambling. I'll stop. Trust me, I'll stop. In this edition, I speak to a good friend of mine, Hayley Roberts. And we speak about Say Anythings in defence of the genre. It's a band I have some, but not that much of a history with. We talked a lot about Max Bemis as an artist, as a person, and as a creator, and how there seems to be different versions of him depending on what album's being recorded. We also talk about Kay's experience of seeing the album being performed live, and we also dip into a conversation about mental health and bipolar disorder. If you like what you hear, please share the podcast along any way you can, and don't forget to commit opinion fraud and give us high marks on iTunes. So, with that out of the way, let's get to it. Kaylee, it's been a long time since we spoke. Um, thank, thank you for taking part in this, well, the, the early days of my new podcast. So, and speaking about an album that you quite like, apparently. So, uh, say, say hello. Uh,
1: hello. Hello, hey. podcast world. Hello, Matt.
0: Hello. Um, before we begin, um, why not introduce and tell everyone what album you're going to be speaking about?
1: Okay. Um, I picked In Defense of the Genre uh, by Say Anything, I believe 2008. Um, It's a two disc album which of course i picked a really long one to start with why not and it's always intrigued me because it was written in a really transitional period of the lead, the lead singer's life and i like the idea of delving into it with you because we've talked about music a lot but very rarely do we fall on the same side of things so um, that <laughs> hold
0: on I say we, we thought. I think in the past we've kind of introduced different, thing, different things to each other and um, yeah, slightly diverging. I think the, the one that comes to my mind is The Streets, which is like, uh, yeah. yeah.
1: A Grand Outcome for Free is probably the album that started our uh, music conversations, I would say, definitely.
0: We're not talking about The Streets because I could, that album I could probably speak for oh, or yeah. whatever we're about, but we're going to be speaking, we're going to be speaking about in defence of the genre. If you can sum, summarise up, I'm going to ask you the question that I'm going to start, that I'm going to ask everyone. Um, why did you pick in defense of the genre in like
1: in summary um just because honestly how much the journey he's talking about resonated with me um he, he wrote it after being di- bi- diagnosed with bipolar disorder and you can hear the way he was trying to figure himself out and i think that really clicked with me
0: oh, okay so you've got a very strong personal connection to the album which I think we'll go through eventually. In terms of say anything and the album, do you remember like the first time you either you heard the album? Was you a, were you a fan of say anything before this album, or was this the, your entry point?
1: I had dabbled. I had. I was actually dating someone at the time who had a really good music catalog. In hindsight, that was pretty much the best thing about him. But he had all of the say anything albums at that time, and I started here and kind of worked backwards. Um, but this one always stuck in my brain.
0: Okay, so, and do you you remember like the first time you kind of clicked with it? Uh, I've always seen that you've got a moment with albums, you've got a moment where you first listen to it and you think, oh, this is good. And then there's a moment where you suddenly seem to connect to something. Was that another instance or was it more or less instantaneous?
1: Yeah, no, it was definitely afterwards. Um, I delved into their catalog and honestly kind of forgot about this album. Is A Real Boy had grabbed my attention for probably years. And coming back to this, like a couple of years into my own mental health journey, I got to track number three, which is That Is Why, where he's talking about kind of going off his meds and just being really silly. And that just really caught my attention in a different way. I think I picked it up on a different level when I went back to it years later. I'm
0: not... a uh... Say anything, fan. I mean, from in all terms of the word, but um, worth. I was familiar with um, say anything. If anything, I think my first dabbling with them was um, the Perma album. Um, I think I was I was um, like stalking some uh, someone on Spotify that I follow that am friends with on Facebook. Um, their playlists and just come up with just clicking random stuff and listen to the a playlist they made of the Perma album, which is Max Bemis, the lead singer, and his wife, whose name is suddenly. Sherry,
1: Sherry Dupree, BMS.
0: Yeah, sorry, Sherry. Dupree. Yeah, see, I know you? knew. Um, which is basically like a really good kind of pop rock and very almost very romantic album as well, which I really liked. And then I think the then I dabbled into Hebrews, which is the album where which doesn't have any guitars on, which. Um, apparently. And the only reason I did that was because on one of the songs, I think it was Judas Decapitation, basically the chorus has a guest appearance from Gareth Campesinos from, w- who are my favourite band. So Los Campesinos are my favourite band, so immediately really liked it. And then listened to the rest of that album and really got into that album, but never, never looked back. So when you said you wanted to do Say Anything album, I was quite, quite, um excited to delve into it and it's a i i have said i really enjoyed it and it was a lot of fun to listen to and so let's delve into it in terms of songs that if, if we call it first i mean which ones jump out to you as highlights or ones that if you was to, if you had to pick a few to talk about which ones would jump out first
1: if i had to pick a couple i would instantly pick tracks five six and seven actually um it would be that's uh how are you on cursing on your podcast
0: <laughs> it's it's fine <laughs>
1: This is fucking Ecstasy and then Church Channel and then Shiksa. And I love, you know, this whole album is very much a concept album. It's very much a journey through something. And I think those three tracks back-to-back-to-back to back to back, take you through so much of the transition of the whole two, the whole album. And they're also, uh, Church Channel's probably my favourite on the first half, so those ones stick out right away.
0: So I remember um, you, you um, said to me, I think you'll like the Church Channel, and it's actually a really good song, and it's also one that features um, Hayley Williams from Paramore, and not, not the only guest... Uh... <laughs> Not the no, only. there's,
1: there's like so many. <laughs> yeah, in in
0: my research, someone said that Max Bemis has dropped like the best rap album of 2007 purely because it's the amount of guest appearances matches those of a you'll find on a rap album, which is I felt quite funny. But
1: I think that's apt.
0: <laughs> but yeah, particularly for, if we for might delve a bit more on the length of it later on, but particularly when you've got an, an hour and 20 minute album, um, it does help break up, so it's not like 80 minutes of Max Beamish screaming at you. I mean, right. even, even just when it's just him singing, it's not him just screaming at you, which again, we'll go in a bit more detail, but it's, not, it's a very nice break of guest appearances, and it's, I mean, it's, it's not even like the first one, I mean like pretty much most of the first chunk of that first disc is like full mm-hmm. of guest appearances as well. For example, you've got Pete Yawn at the start, you've got Taking Back Sunday, um, Hayley Williams comes in, saves the day appears at some point.
1: Yes, um, I literally, every time I hear uh, Chris Conley from Save the Days track, it's uh, number 13, I get mad that he and Bemis haven't made a super group because I just love them playing together in that song so much
0: exactly and then again and then the second half just carries on with like you've got newfound glory appearing at some point as well um and then you've got you've got matt Skiber from alkaline trio appear at some point as well and the one that shocked me which i thought goes oh which i thought was max is just changing his voice to sound like him but then gerard way appears and i'm like yeah, I oh, knew okay
1: you, i knew you were gonna say that yeah. when you said it surprised you
0: <laughs> yeah well it surprised me because at first i thought it was him doing a a quite bad Gerard Way impression until until afterwards I realised it was actually him, which was like, and then would then I then realised that this was 2007 Gerard Way, which was what peak My Chemical Romance at the time. Yeah, I mean it was, I'm sure this was before, this was like Black Parade level, I think 2007. Yeah, this was after Black Parade. I've seen other bands when they have guest vocalists, kind of are there to kind of reign in the lead singer, but in terms of Max Bemis, who I think it's literally trying to rein him in because he does go because he does go off on the on the yeah. all over the place on this. And I think if it was just one disc, then I think the amount of guest vocalists would be too much. But here, mm. it kind of when it stops you from getting too samey, but then kind of reins him in.
1: Yeah, I think I mean he talks a lot in his personal life about being bad at dealing with attention, and you can almost feel that when he shares the, the song with someone because as much as I love when he goes full force, he sounds different when he's sharing the track like he's more at ease because there's somebody else there to scream for him so, especially uh that would be a uh, defense of the genre the, the song the track with uh gerard way
0: yeah it, it's quite interesting to say that as well particularly because it's the title track which yeah. at least you would have thought they would have been the band would have been on their own but again he he shares that as well and particularly again might focus a bit on Gerald way as well because Gerald way is perhaps in defense of the genre, the genre is emo music isn't it? You can safely say it's emo music and again 2007 Gerard Way at the peak of emo stardom Gerard way is probably the was the number what one of the number one emo genre stars is, absolutely is that safe
1: and yeah and who do you want with you when you're defending the genre?
0: one of i think one of my highlights in fact i think my my favorite song off it again is, is is a guest vocalist appearance which is sorry Do's my bad with um chris conley definitely wasn't my favorite mainly because it gets quite self-referential and look probably do dip into a bit more of the behind the scenes afterwards but um I, it's him kind of like apologizing for not turning up to at all not being able to do a tour, we take him back Sunday, and then take him back Sunday comes in, and then I'm assuming there's another vocalist, which I'm guessing is another member of the band?
1: It could be Kobe. There, Yeah, there was there was a another vocalist in Say Anything at the time, the background vocals.
0: Yeah, it kind of like says, don't worry, mate, don't worry, which I quite like, we just don't worry, mate. We know you got your issues, carry on. And then it's like the guy, and then Chris Carney comes in saying more or less the same thing. Yeah. And I just think it was very, very, very... Well done.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think um, I think he was kind of poking fun at his own screw ups as a way to like lay them bare and maybe get past them because he screwed up that tour. But he's also like self sabotaged his band many many times before and after this album. So that song's never going to be less relevant, really.
0: Okay, so so Max has had a, a history of kind of that. Does he? Does he usually have a? Is it usually a like a, like a loop of him? going back to using music to like rectify that or kind of go through it
1: um he he seems to i don't know if it's apologize or come to terms with i've even said pray a lot in his music he seems to use it to atone there we go atone for things he's done um because he had a lot of substance abuse issues in the past uh intermingled with mental health issues and he did a lot of sabotaging his his music his band having to apologize He's been. They've been like the Destiny's Child of emo punk music. There's never the same <laughs> two members of the band for very long. To the point where, before he bailed, like before he bowed out of the band recently, it was down to just him. So that kind of adds a, another layer of interest to that song for me.
0: Oh, okay. So, and I'm guessing, does that appear again later on in the album, or do you know, or do you think that's just the only instance of him kind of atoning? For- Or does he appear again, that theme?
1: Um... For the rest of the album, a lot of it seems to be more um, apologizing for the how he treated the love in, in, in the story in his life. That I find that Atonement's still there throughout. Like, trying to see him looking... Um, just yeah, in the beginning of the album, it's just a lot of like, well, I messed up, and then there's, well, I messed up with the band, and then there's, well, I messed up with this chick, and she messed up with me. So a lot of recurrences of that same, um, I don't know. Atonement, I still really go back to that word, because it's not really that he's apologizing. It's kind of just putting it out there. He's becoming, self,
0: becoming self-aware.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: I think self-awareness is something that appears quite a lot in this album as well. Um, mm-hmm. At some point, I think he also mocks himself, mocks himself and the genre at times. Whereas, like, I think I can't remember which songs it was because I think because I, I think I've listened to it about three or four times all the way through, and it is quite <laughs> a long album. I think I've listened to perhaps the first half more than the second, but there are parts where it seems like he's almost poking fun at the genre as well, like with some like very deliberate. Um like two emo lyrics that seem to be too hilarious to actually be true. I mean like I used to have a heart, for example. The title alone is a bit uh overkill, if that makes sense. <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. Um, there's also the line, um, the one the song I can't remember which song it is, uh like the song is for you and all of your crew. It felt very like, I don't know, mocking people's needs to have these songs resonate with them. And I like how he sprinkles that in, but in a way that feels sincere because you can tell that he cares about the music as much as we do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and again when he's again when he's kind of poking funny. At the genre, he also kind of pokes fun at other stuff as well. I think died a Jew. Um, he actually kind of almost kind of teases like the hip hop community. At one, point. I'm sure there's a line, somewhat like, "Uh, we were slaves before black people," or something like that. And that's like, uh,
1: when... yeah, my people were slaves before yours invented hip hop. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, I actually I refer like I refer to that song as um his religious theme song <laughs> because. He actually considers himself a Jewish Christian. Okay. So that song is, like, as much as there is the depth, like, the one of this line you just pointed out, there's a lot of, like, silly, tongue-in-cheek juxtaposition between Christianity and Judaism. Like, uh, yes, I chase my milk with ham. Stuff like that. So... I've always loved, like, I know people who have gotten quite upset when hearing that song come out of my radio, but I like it. It's just another, I think it's another thing he's showing us, really.
0: So, is he quite open about his faith, or, his faith or is it that he was raised Jewish? Um,
1: he was raised Jewish, I believe. Um, I know Maxim, his full name Maxim is a traditionally Hebrew name, but he from what i've he's very open with yes yeah, sorry i jumped your question he's very open about his uh about his spirituality and kind of how he pulls from both religions and doesn't think he's more more one than the other um so yeah, cia for himself as a, a a christian jew i think it's his actual terminology It's really insightful
0: mm, yeah i think and he kind of does it like that again that self awareness um self-awareness and almost like self-deprecating mocking and like kind of like
1: It's almost like he's aware of how harshly people are going to judge the fact that he considers himself both, so he's just lampooning it from the (laughs) get-go.
0: When I was listening to it, and I, I, I think I noticed this, particularly, um, when I was listening to Hebrews, is that his kind of view of himself and how he uses music to kind of, one, vent out, vent out what is on his head, in his head, and also, basically, the, the other half, and the other half is basically him talking about Max Bemis. There's, 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 very, there's a lot of similarities to Eminem at times in her, in how he kind of uses himself as, um, uses himself as like his own muse, if that makes
1: yeah, I get that. Cause I've always felt like there's kind of, I imagine there's Max Femus, the person and musician, and then there's Max Femus, the character that he's giving us, who's probably an amalgam of, you know, the truth and fiction and whatever. So I've never thought of that correlation between him and, you know, Eminem and, you know, the Eminem. Slim Shady, all the different.
0: Yeah, because you got Marshall Mathers, who's like him really. You got Eminem, the persona of the rapper. Then you got Slim Shady, who's the character that Eminem is rapping as. And here, particularly, I think there was because he released um, like that short novella, um, novella that I think you sent me, where he talks about. I think it's it's, is it the last Say Anything album that he?
1: Yeah, it's. I believe it's coming out um, in January. It's not released yet. Oliver Oliver, Appropriate, appropriate. there we go. Yeah,
0: because you sent me a copy of what he released out when he's talking about the album, and one of the things he mentions is that that he's always written from a... about a fictional Max Bemis, which he then, or at least a character that might be him, but isn't, but could be, but then he, he actually then christened him as Oliver Appropriate for the last album, and he said that that character is kind of like, particularly for, is it dot dot dot, is a real boy, and perhaps to get this version of Max Bemis that seems to be the first person in a lot of his songs and it seems to come i mean it's it's not on this album he doesn't actually name him on this album but retroactively you can kind of see him kind of admit that yeah this is a character it's not perhaps him but it might be as well and i think we kind of that's kind of him forming his own eminem slash slim shady parallel
1: yeah absolutely i agree and even falling back to the idea of him like atoning and laying himself bare it was almost like he was almost apo- i feel like he was almost apologizing for duping us both the character he's written about previously like for letting us think that it was him i don't know i always felt there was some sort of apology in there for that yeah. but it makes me excited to see i mean i've heard some of the tracks off of the new album i think there's three or four available on youtube but it makes me excited to see just how his writing is going to transition because i always thought so i think i thought more of these songs were autobiographical than they are now so that always that that's thrown a little bit of mystery into the mix for me honestly
0: i want to do just slightly move on a bit more and perhaps a bit more of your history say anything in terms of because i know because i know you're going to talk about this a bit now um about the songs being performed live and if your history perhaps seen say anything live as well and i understand that you actually went to is it like the 10th anniversary or at this yes you actually...
1: it was the 10th anniversary tour of this album
0: yeah and they basically played it all the way through.
1: Not only did they play it all the way through, they then went and played "Is a Real Boy" all the way through. Oh, okay. So was three, three plus hour show. It was insane. Yeah.
0: So, but in t- but in terms of the songs as well, was that the first time you saw them live, or have you seen them live before?
1: This is the first time I've seen them live.
0: Oh, okay, and the only time are they?
1: Yeah, so I got in like just in time. Apparently,
0: yeah. So at least you can say you've seen them live. So, so how how did the so If just focus on this album, how did the album translate live?
1: Oh, so well! Um, Skinny Mean Man, the um, it opened the concert better than I've ever heard any song open a show, and I mean I've seen far fewer gigs than you, but I've seen a couple, and. It just felt like we were all in church for a minute because every single like of the four hundred people in that tiny cruddy club knew every word, and it sounded just exactly the way I imagined it would. Even though he has you know fewer bandmates, different bandmates, different different instrumentalists, um, it was it was mind blowing. I'm still not entirely convinced that it happened. Okay, have like, I have the t shirt? I have the pictures. Not sure that I was there.
0: No, I fully I fully understand that feeling. <laughs> So as the like the album went on, I mean, because it's a very shape-shifty genre album. There's quite a lot of interesting stuff going on. The game did that. Was that all translated well? Translated well across? Did it, was there something different during the the actual live performance? Or?
1: Honestly, there was one song he made more acoustic, but I can't remember what. I think I think he he uh, toned he toned. Pardon my phrasing. He wrote it, not me. He toned Retarded in Love down quite a bit, like it was slower. Other than that, I didn't think that Baby Girl, on the Blur, succeeded very well live, but I don't like the song anyway, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting song to release as a single. I'm, I'm assuming it was like the lead single.
1: I think it was yeah that bothers me but it just I didn't like the the uh weird underlying techno beat it felt so disjointed from the rest of the album and in my mind if I take it away I lose nothing so I could (laughs) have I could have been biased toward the song live, but you could tell how uncomfortable he was because of how much he was trying to be comfortable during the set. He's talked about how he doesn't really like performing live anymore, more like these songs, which makes me feel bad for enjoying him performing them.
0: That's an interesting view. So he's performing them, but doesn't like performing. So he must be very conscious of his fans and that they're there to see him perform live anyway
1: yeah i think this album this tour was 100 percent for us i don't think it was for i mean maybe i'm sure he needed the money you know but whatever who doesn't nowadays but this album this tour was clearly for the fans because immediately after this tour wrap was pretty much when he announced that he was done with the band so i think he was saying goodbye to us and not telling us that's kind of my theory with the store,
0: or at least giving, at least allowing the people that followed him for, for about ten years, for the album for ten years, the chance to kind of have one last hurrah.
1: Exactly, and like I mean, he's a writer, he's a musician. Maybe he liked the symmetry of it being on the tenth anniversary after an album. I don't know, mm. but. I would I could see I could see the character when he was up there which didn't make me enjoy it any less but the moments where he was taking a breath between songs or even between you know an instrumental break you saw the musician for a second and he just looked like he didn't want to be there but at the same time he did also end up in the hospital 2 days later for pneumonia so
0: he might have just be ill
1: <laughs> might have just been ready to not be on stage yeah
0: Oh, okay <laughs> and I understand there was a special moment between the two of you as well during that uh
1: i picked the wrong album on purpose i did not pick the album that i sung with him on in the concert so i couldn't wax poetic for too long um i did make it to the front of the stage with my uh whiskey sour and during chia like i shall grow which is one of my favorite songs off of is a real boy he came over to me with this look in his eye like i'm gonna hand you the mic and i looked back at him like you're not gonna hand me the mic (laughs) (laughs) And then he held my hand instead And we sang one of the lines of the chorus And that's the moment That reverberates in time And makes me wonder if it really happened (laughs) Yeah Amazing
0: So you say that gig was probably one of the best ones you've been to
1: Oh yeah Number one for experience wise And probably like top two for actual musical Like experience
0: Top two, what's the other one out of curiosity
1: Oh, Bob Dylan oh okay yeah I saw Dylan when I was 16 I think
0: see that see I wouldn't have guessed that
1: yeah um, I'm multifaceted
0: wow <laughs> okay so if we go go back to the album itself um because I know there's a topic that you want to talk about as well because a lot of the album itself a key part of it explores about his own mental health mm-hmm. um and he's Max Bemis has, has like said that he suffers from um is it just bipolar disorder or
1: poor him in an interview. Obviously, I'm not being creepy and going through medical records, but um he talked about when he was writing as a real boy he and the producer were in this tiny apartment or hotel room in new york for months and during that he actually had a manic break um a lot of which track i think it's track um i'll think it a second one of these songs um is very much him talking about like having this mental breakdown running through um running through new york because he actually thought that everyone around him was paid to be there to mess with him and ended up if i remember correctly getting punched in the face by a guy selling dvds and side of the street because he was freaking out on this guy saying this guy was not real and whatnot ended up in a mental hospital diagnosed with bipolar disorder so this was the first album that he wrote while cognizant of you know exactly you know what he was dealing with mental health wise so that shift of has always interested me between the album before and this one
0: he's a real boy was perhaps before he was diagnosed
1: yes he his well he yeah he was diagnosed during the process of producing it, the song "This Fucking Ecstasy" is, from my interpretation, he's writing about him running around New York, having that breakdown, which leads into Church Channel, which is him in an institution, which leads then into him starting this new relationship. So that's why I like those three songs as kind of a fulcrum of the first half of this album, because I, know, I think a lot of the album is about him dealing with that new mental discovery.
0: My knowledge of bipolar isn't that great, so what exactly? So what exactly does it mean if someone's bipolar?
1: Okay, well. Uh... Um, he seems to have the more traditional bipolar disorder than a couple different ones, but essentially he would he would dissociate and think that he wasn't real or the people around him weren't real. Um, you know, some people have delusions of grandeur, like they can fly, or or they'll have you know very deep deep lows. But it seems he's always talked about having the more the more manic hallucinations, like separations from reality, which is why knowing that it's made this album and also. Is a real boy a lot more interesting to me? Why is that? Well, I'm just because it makes me wonder how much of it. This is such a weirdest thing to say, but like how much of it was written while he was unwell, and like what was brought out of his mind from what he was dealing with, and what were just stories that he thought on his own, and what was the truth?
0: I always thought it meant it was just like hyperactivity, as in like just being very hyper in terms of behavior. I, I wasn't, I wasn't aware it was actually um like like almost delusion. Almost. Is, that, is that right?
1: It it can be um uh like. Max I've been blessed by the bipolar fairy in my life. Um, I have a different type than he does. Mine is. I have what's called hypomania which is kind of what you're describing where you're like very high high energy you might not need to sleep you may be very efficient and productive that's the fun side yeah that's um so that is a different a facet of bipolar disorder as well um and he hasn't talked much in the past 3 or 4 years about his mental health like in terms of bipolar disorder and this and that so um but yeah that manic episode where he got punched in the face in New York seemed to be when, when somebody realized it, yeah, that, that video, because he there's a, a, an actual video interview he had with someone where he to- he's telling that story.
0: <laughs> you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. But did, did this 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 album kind of help you understand your diagnosis more, or would, did would were you listening to this before your diagnosis? Or?
1: Help is maybe not an accurate enough word. I would say it uh, it didn't help me with with my diagnosis or with being bipolar. But there's always something else about knowing knowing that somebody else is in the club, especially, but someone you respect and admire, like Carrie Fisher, suffered with bipolar disorder. So it's a, it's a cruddy club to be in, but it's nice to have good company. And even though, you know, the album didn't help per se, like, you know, fix me or anything. Hearing someone else also have no goddamn idea what's going on with their mind is kind of a relief in and of itself. So I cling to that a lot with a lot of his music is feeling that it's okay to not know what's going on.
0: So you you can kind of relate to it or at least you've got the experiences of someone else with something similar.
1: Yeah. And even to this day, like, you know, it's been 10 years since this album, but it still helps me. Like he's now got a wife and three kids and seeing that someone can, you know, struggle with their mental health and still build a life for themselves. He's pretty inspiring.
0: It's, a, it's one of those things I think, like, particularly with music as well, and that it, it has a very good, very strong ability to be able to affect someone in all sorts of ways for all sorts of different reasons. And one of the things I, I, one of the reasons I also wanted to kind of do this podcast as well was see how people, why people like albums, but underlying reasons as well to why they might be emotionally connected to it. because now there's some that I'm emotionally connected to as well, but. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's a very it's quite a very interesting, particularly in fighting how it's if not if not helping, but at least giving um, someone the a, sto- a, a story a, a story or at least another experience so you can say, oh okay, we're in the, you're in this like pretty crappy club that you're in, but at least you know that someone else is going going through it and is doing this, so it's not all doom and gloom.
1: Exactly. He it really, and I f- I have a feeling. I shouldn't presume, but I have a feeling he would actually hate feeling like knowing that someone felt like he was like the light at the end of the tunnel for them metaphorically. But he really does inspire me that, you know, things can really be really crappy and you can still get through them. And now he writes comic books for uh, one of the Marvel, Marvel, Marvel publishing companies. So like, and he has, yeah, so there's still potential for me, (laughs) but it really is, it really is that, that feeling of almost like a camaraderie. And I'm a little worried for when I get to, you know, have the opportunity to speak speak with him because i feel like i'm gonna talk to him like i already know him and it's gonna be weird
0: oh yeah because you've got oh yeah because yeah, um you told me this before before recording a couple of days ago and um, you've got a is it like a 45 minute meeting or a Skype conversation with him
1: yes i'm gonna sound like a creepy super fan by the end of this but yes um he and sherry were doing a kickstarter to raise money because they're adding a music studio to their home And I was able to donate enough to have a 45 45 minute chat with him, which Sherry said could be video or audio. So, of course, I'm going to pick video. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: And that's I can't think about it for too long or I'll get cold sweats. Just full disclosure, because (laughs) I have no idea what I'm going to say. But, yeah, it's going to be surreal. And I hope I say almost none of this to him because I'll just be gushing the whole time.
0: You'll be you'll fine you'll you'll be fine. Don't worry, man.
1: Remember that time we held hands in Boston on a late January evening, and just go from there.
0: And if he says yes, then it's <laughs> me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so so yeah, so we talked about that. Um, we'll perhaps go a bit on the, the the background of the actual recording and the the, the writing bit because the. Because that's there was a story that story where he was where he said he was just running around New York believing that no one was real. Um, from when I was looking into the background more, it was, he was he was actually believing he was the subject of his own documentary at one point.
1: Yeah, like that show. What show? The I can't remember. Sorry, I didn't interrupt you. The movie where the guy is in a movie in a show of his own life, but he doesn't know it.
0: Yeah, um, like the Truman, the Truman Show. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Okay, I think it was before actually I think it was before he's a real boy at the time, I think, where he's where he said the uh, he had the the idea that he was being filmed. Yeah, so I think it was record yeah, it was recording the first album where he said I literally lost my mind whilst we were recording. Um he, he said about this breakdown. Um breakdown was pre- precipitated by a mockumentary discussed by Beamus and O'Hare. Beamus' condition led him to believe he was secretly filmed for the mockumentary Situation culminated in him walking the streets of Brooklyn, thinking he was being filmed, while encountering friends who are actually strangers.
1: Yeah, that's I can't imagine. This, yeah, no, um, that's pretty much where I leave it at. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Like he sincerely thought people were. And I read another one. I think he said he thought that people were being people. People were hired to mess with him. Like within the, it was it was deep and scary sounding. Again,
0: it's. It's great, because I think they, rec- I think they also recorded it whilst I was touring as well. Which my understanding, particularly if if, if artists are on a very particular heavy, very relentless tour, that's got to be quite emotionally and mentally draining as it is. Um, and then when you've got Max Beam, when you've got Max Beam, is basically discovering um, a mental illness at the same time. That must. That's.
1: He admits to using um, a lot of alcohol and weed to self-medicate at the time. So you add that to the mix.
0: And then, but then this album came out of it. So, uh.
1: Oh, it made for great music, but it seems like a hell of a road to travel to get there.
0: In terms of when it was released, it was released in September. Was it? No, it wasn't. It was released on October 23rd, uh, 2007. And I think it ended up um, getting not exactly mixed reviews. I mean, there was a lot, of, a lot of very, very good reviews on its initial reception. I think it, it went in at number 27 on the US Billboard chart. I think it sold 25,000 in its first week. What we've got, we've got, I think Entertainment Weekly gave it a minus. A-. Alternative Press gave it a 4.5 out of 5. Blendy gave me four out of five.
1: review was my favorite. A mess, but an exhilarating one. I feel like that's pretty appropriate for, this, for the album. Like, it should, or it, at least it should be a mess. But... <laughs> It ends up just working and being pretty exciting.
0: Pop Matters called it A Gift and A Curse at the same at the same time, which, again, I think it does. I mean, I, I can appreciate what it was doing in terms of its length and the different mm. kind of things it was doing, but it did go on a bit, I think. Um, and, I mean, it was quite rare that I managed to sit through it all in one go, and I think there's perhaps a couple of songs that, that could get cut off particularly near the second half of the second disc where i think it loses a bit of steam but i mean ov- i mean overall i mean it's i can see why he tried to do it and it's a nice experiment in places and yeah and i think it, it kind of earns its um its praise um again i don't know i mean okay you're the fan of, in terms of this compared with is a real boy i mean which one is seen as the better album
1: I think critically, it would definitely be Is a Real Boy. And I honestly, it's, I feel like you would pick three Say Anything fans and they'd have three different opinions to this question. (laughs) There's, he's got such a breadth of albums at this point. Um, for me, I slightly prefer Is a Real Boy because of who the, I believe the producer he was he was he produced uh, I think it was Hedwig and the Angry Inch it was or some some Broadway musical and I think there was like a depth and a fullness to Is A Real Boy that I haven't seen since but some of these songs on their own would stand against any of the songs on the album so it's so hard (laughs) Uh, I will say agreeing with you about the length I think that honestly they could have chopped it off right around uh, track 17 and just I wouldn't have even minded but I understand the concept of the album and he wouldn't have had told the full the full story by that point. So mm.
0: I think it's very front loaded as well. I think a lot of the heavy hitting, and better songs are, are in that first half. And I think, and to be fair, I think at the time I think pretty much that disc one. I really like that disc one. A lot of that is really good. And sorry, dudes, my bad. He's actually not wouldn't would work as a as a closing song. If oh, you're yeah. honest, it would work as a closer. Um, I just
1: have a spot for uh, the word you wield. Um, and the truth is, you should lie with me, because they have a very 90s sound to them. Like, seven, like, Word You Wield could be, like, an early Weezer song. if, And you get to the chorus. So I'd be sad if they went away. But uh, yeah, for completion, I think that he could have stopped it at the end of the first album. Yeah.
0: I do, I do have to put a, a shout out for Sp- Spores on Disc 2. Because the the um saying, sitting down watching Demolition Man. And Demolition Man is the best film ever. So I listen, I listen to that line. I'm like, yeah, Max, you got it right. <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, funny you speak of of uh, pop culture reference lines. I think of you when he references Twenty Four on the third track. <laughs> 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 I was like, Matt will enjoy that." Little not for Sutherland. <laughs> uh, um,
0: and I think we, as we we're coming up to the end of our discussion for now. And although I'll ask a question, the as we're coming up to the end of this discussion, I'll ask question. Um, Schist, track seven, the one with the Sh- title. <laughs> Yeah, that one—the one basically the one where he talks about having a girlfriend. Now, is that, is that talking about Sherry, or is that someone else?
1: No, um, actually, if you're interested in hearing more about his courtship with Sherry, the self-titled album, "Say Anything," by "Say Anything," is pretty much their romance. This oh. was pre
0: Oh, okay. Because I said, I really, really like that Perma album, and um, so I might I might dip into the uh, "Say Anything" section, which. Actually, saying that that might have just answered my next question. If perhaps not me, if any any of the listeners, if this if they was listening to this, and then perhaps thought, "Ooh, where should I go next? What album? What next? Say anything album would you recommend them to listen to?"
1: Um. If if
0: this was their first.
1: Their first, I would probably ask them to check out, oh my goodness, it's, it's not in my brain right now for some reason, hold on. It was the LP that they put out before Is A Real Boy, for sale, or EP rather. I will always start someone with the EP for sale if they're not familiar with Say Anything, just because, I mean, it's mainly stuff that's in Is A Real Boy. But some of it's recorded a little bit differently, a little bit rougher and really enjoyable. And then if they wanted a full album, I would probably say self titled because it's a more condensed version of this emotional roller coaster that he takes you on for in defense of the genre. And it's a little bit sweeter because he is falling in love with his now wife at the time, so
0: Oh, okay. If the if there's any tracks on here that you'd skip on a listen, which which one would you skip? Which your least favourite?
1: Baby Girl in a blur just doesn't need to be there. I really to this day think that was the records, the, uh, like the record label twisting his arm to make something hip, because it just sounds so disingenuous. And I remember another there was another one that kind of bores me, something to do with a wanker. Yes, uh, you're a wanker if anyone is. He's trying to be angry at someone, but it sounds very forced.
0: See, um, again, again, if anyone with a, that doesn't have a British accent trying to call someone a wanker, just, it doesn't sound right.
1: I- Oh, I considered not mentioning the song for that reason entirely, but it's worth it for the sake of the podcast. Yeah, no, you're a wanker. You're the wanker if anyone is. Honestly, if someone's worried about how long it is, just focus on the first disc. That's where all the gold is.
0: And before we finish completely, I want to ask you a question. Which one of these songs would you add to the Pick a Disc Podcast playlist hall of fame? Because my goal is to, at the end of every episode, add one song from one of the albums onto this playlist. So eventually Eventually, every episode a new one gets added so um we've heard, we've already had um you two zoo station to start off which song which one song anyone you want do you want to add as the second song onto that playlist
1: oh man this feels like a privilege and an honor i was gonna uh, I, was, I
0: was gonna i was gonna tell you i was gonna ask this question but i quite like the idea of just uh springing it up
1: on them that's on them. fair that's fair. You, you gave me enough promptings. I can figure this one out on my own. I think I would have to go with Church Channel and not, and not because it's my favorite, believe it or not. but just I just feel like if I wanted someone to get one tone or one story from this album, it's that, you know, he was going through something. <laughs> and I think Church Channel really gives you insight into what spreads out through the rest of the album. So yeah, I would definitely go with Church Channel.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Thank you very much. So, and here we are, we're at the end, we're at the end of our conversation about, say anything in defense of the genre. I hope you enjoyed it. I definitely have. I felt like I've learned a few things as well.
1: Yeah, I had a good time. It doesn't feel like it's been like 10 years since we've spoken on uh, an audio <laughs> device. So,
0: time <laughs> Yeah. Before we go, if there's, if anyone wants to find you online or if you've got anything that you want to advertise, then go ahead. If you've got anything you want to, to shill.
1: Um, I don't think I have anything to shill, sadly. Um, I will say that I'm planning on putting together a poetry book next year, but there's nothing to speak of yet, but when it happens, I'll be sure to have Matt let everybody know.
0: I <laughs> oh, definitely will. Um, hey, thank you very much. And, um, again, thank you for, thank you for agreeing to talk about Max Bemis and his defense of emo music.
1: I've been waiting half my life to talk about Say Anything with you, Matt, so... <laughs> My pleasure.
0: <laughs> You've been listening to Pick A Disc. I've been your host, Matthew Latham. Our theme music is Pump by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us on your favourite podcast app of choice, but you can also find us on Anchor, who also hosts us. Don't forget to rate us five stars on iTunes as well. You can find us on all the usual social media-type places like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under Pick A Disc. All one word, no spaces. Until next time, happy listening to all of those discs that you are picking. Goodbye.